welcome to the Ankler Hot Seat Podcast. I'm Janice Min, your host today with Sean McNulty. Hi, Sean. Hey, Janice. And joining us from the Toronto Film Festival, Richard Rushfield and Tatiana Siegel. Hello. Hey, Janice. <laughs> Tatiana, you're back in Canada. Hi, Richard. Hello there. <laughs> you made it across the border. Bare- barely. I told Richard. <laughs> I have been randomly selected by the Canadian government to um, have a COVID test, which can only be performed at the airport, apparently. No, you're going back to the airport? <laughs> I, I don't plan to, but um, I got a really weird... I, I'm telling you, everything is like yeah. up to date. I am that boosted and boosted twice. I don't understand why the Canadian government keeps picking on me they have it out for you list yeah Yeah. you're on a list (laughs) (laughs) you need tsa pre for canada or whatever their their version of that is um (laughs) exactly (laughs) um all right well um please remember to like and follow us where you listen to your favorite podcasts and please subscribe to the angler at the angler.com um a bunch of topics to cover today um obviously the queen has died um, and we will get to that because I'm sure in Canada it must feel, which is part of the Commonwealth, it must feel, um, you must see it in the streets. And in fact, I got an email that of the many emails that come in that the Canadian consulate was postponing their Emmys party out of respect for the Queen's death, um, which who knew there was a- Well, that is the big yeah, one. It's a big one. Yeah. Well, Richard and I are are staying uh, at a hotel on Queen Street. And um, I already took a picture and posted it on Twitter of a billboard that went up, like, I don't know, maybe an hour after it was announced. Uh, A very nice poster, which says, you know, um, Her Majesty, goodbye, whatever. Right. Okay. I saw another one in the lobby of the office building across the street. So okay. There are at least several billboards in Canada okay. acknowledging. All right. Um, so we want to. We will talk a little bit more about the Queen. Then we'll hear about what's happening at, at the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, I think we want to talk a little bit more about marketing. This is a subject that keeps coming up, and um, we seem to be missing marketers all over town, especially at the streaming services. Um, Austerity is hitting everywhere, including, I think, Sean, where are we getting hit hardest with austerity right now? Uh, I mean, this week, the latest stuff, Google, you know, which is the kind of the most shocking because you kind of think Google's pretty foolproof to this stuff and the ceo sundar pichai you know said you know uh, 20 percent uh essentially reduction or some you know, a very broad term but very specific number that was like hmm but like business travels only for you know essential business like things like that that like at google really that's you know that's huh. interesting so there's but, a, a okay, few but other I, but yeah. don't you think people use this as an excuse to belt tighten like oh, when, sure. when, yeah right. right exactly but google also needs to attract talent and that's a very talent so you know as much as hollywood is that as well engineering talent's very finicky like that too where you know the perks there are there for a reason and the top engineering talent is really valuable there so you know there are some ramifications but okay I think, and then yeah. comcast also well, comcast you know announced a billion dollars and they're cutting a billion dollars from the abcu budget next year that was you know kind of last week there netflix there's a piece in the wall street journal this week that they're 
kind of combing through the list here. They closed their Salt Lake City office, which I had no idea existed. Wow. Um, but that apparently uh, went pretty remote in the pandemic. And then there's also part of the one of the more recent rounds of layoffs. It was a lot of back office. Which kinda. is funny because lots of people moved to Salt Lake City during the pandemic. <laughs> exactly. Well, now they're, well, you know, oh. they're still there. They're remote. But maybe they um, moved back after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Right? Well, the, la- um, yeah, the lakes are also evaporating. So, you know, it'll just be, it'll just be Salt City pretty soon. Yeah. Um, reason LA is looking pretty good. In, yeah, in exactly. Uh, <laughs> and I guess at Netflix, there was apparently all the swag you want for years. And now it says a $300 cap per year. So it's just things like that. Wow that like okay uh, this is kind of like normal media company stuff and not you know like i was hbo yeah you can get a few things but not everything and netflix always had this very open freedom and responsibility uh mantra which i'm sure we've all heard of before and now it's which i'm sure more... nobody abused <laughs> well apparently the swag was very popular i had that's that's, that's like the put a limit on that i'm like who wants all free netflix stuff i'm like i guess it's very popular yeah so, yeah yeah just these little measures kind of trickling in genus that are like okay there's like People are looking at the books getting right. pretty tight. Well, um, and then I want to, at the end of this podcast, talk a little bit about Entertainment Strategy, guys. Kind of amazing series this week about the American viewer and give that a plug. But let's go back to Toronto. So um, Richard and Tatiana, how swaggy is Toronto these days? <laughs> We've been to one party so far and... Um... Richard, uh, you said last time you were I mean, there, it's... There, there, there was more swag or swag. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say minimally. I, I have not, other than some free hors d'oeuvres, I haven't been gifted with anything yet. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gotten a single T-shirt or USB uh, drive tote bag to show for. <laughs> Those are fun. For right now, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no little, uh, no, no iPhone case or anything to show for my time here. Um, I. Out, they have sort of a festival street here, and they have a lot of companies have set up booths where you can Instagram yourself in front of funny backdrops that are related to those companies. TikTok has a big booth where you can go in and do some TikToking thing. Well, we still have a Netflix party tonight, so well, you don't know, expect maybe... any swag there. Apparently, I don't know. That sounds like <laughs> that party's over. <laughs> Or just two hundred ninety nine dollars, exactly. Worth, uh, <laughs> potentially. So. Um, but okay. Aside from the swag slash swag, um, what what are the headlines that you're seeing there right now? So the the the, the big thing is the the Toronto Film Festival has crucially been the start, the kickoff of the Oscar race, and it kind of comes in tandem with. You have three festivals in one week now. You have Telluride, Venice, and Toronto. So they're all sort of this one big monster of a kickoff of the Oscar race. Uh, as far as Toronto goes to it, there's one major obvious contender that people are looking forward to, which is the Steven Spielberg film, The Fablemans, which debuts uh, premieres here on, on Saturday night. And that's the one uh, big film that hasn't going? been seen elsewhere Oh yeah, I. We will be there. Uh, it's you have to race from Glass Onion from Knives Out Two to uh, to the Fablemans, which is a few doors down. So I, I think we have like three minutes between shows, but uh, we're going to make them both happen. Um, and uh, 
that is the big question mark of the festival, whether this, the, the Fablemans will come out with a bang and uh, become the instant uh, front runner. Now, I should say that the Fablemans the is Steven Spielberg's uh, sort of autobiographical film about his childhood. So, yeah. Michelle Williams plays his mother. Oh, wow. Okay. And who plays young Steven Spielberg? It's an unknown, I believe, casting. Uh, I mean, Paul Dano's in it. Seth Rogen's in it. I think he's the uncle or something like that. But the kid is, I believe, like somebody, a found actor from. Oh, okay. Mistaken. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do do audiences in Toronto do the extended standing ovation like they do at, <laughs> at Venice and Cannes? <laughs> no. It's it's Canadian restrained. Is that, yeah, okay. it's like like we liked your film, we loved your film, but it's not like an eighteen minute, uh, you know, no gaps in the standing ovation that we got out of Venice or <laughs> movies you've never heard of, <laughs> and some of them you may never again, possibly. So, um, okay, and but the the big thing that a lot of people we were just talking to is. There's among the film critics, there's a fear of giving poor reviews to anything. There's really um, Why? some of the studios. Well, there's there, there's a, a crackdown uh, going on where if you give a poor review or a or you say something bad about the film, you might not be invited to something. Well, what's this going to do to Richard? I mean, he's <laughs> <laughs> coming home early now. I know. He's going to be driven to the border and just <laughs> left, <laughs> dropped off. Then <laughs> they'll have to see what it looks like when I smile, which will be uh, even worse for them uh, than than me frowning. Um, Wait, is that so? That's a real thing, Tatiana, or is that just is that just like a, a belief that that's what's going on? It's it's kind of a real thing that there's. Oh no, it's a it's a real thing, and um, you saw like that kind of look of like multiple people said to me, "Well, you know, you just have to you have to toe the party line when you're here," <sighs> and I'm like, "Oh, good to know." Wow, that's that's pretty, it is pretty wild. Is a sense with the tradespeople that when you're doing, when you're on the awards beat, that you are no longer sort of under the trade umbrella. You're in this hybrid creature that 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 is sort of half trade and half half part of the 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 Netflix or Amazon or Machinery. Or, or HBO machine. Yeah, and that 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 you you kind of work for two bosses. There is the the general sense. So I think it'll be interesting. I asked a few, what do you think is going to be the film that is universally terrible uh, or universally agreed upon as terrible, but no one will dare say it's terrible. Uh, but we'll find out. No one knows yet. Until, <laughs> but there will be one that everyone will be like, God, that was bad, but no one will review it poorly. <laughs> um, well, Okay, and the other headlines we should be keeping an eye out for. There, there's a couple films that uh, that, that we've been told that uh, to look out for that are that are smaller films that aren't getting a lot of a lot of ballyhoo uh, that we've been touching and I haven't seen either of them, but we've been tipped off that they that they could be big sleeper hits. And, um, and, can I just pause with a question, just to clarify for those who 
uh, might not know, it, Toronto is both a showcase and a market. Is it also a market? Yes. Yeah. So, some yeah. Of these so a lot little... of the movies are for sale. Okay. All right. So we, there, there are so-called Oscar contenders we haven't even heard of yet who will possibly be bought by Apple who bought, for example, Coda at, a, at Sundance at a festival and other festival mm -hmm. films that might be things that will be unexpected surprises. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's very, this, that what's, what's interesting about Toronto is that it, it really runs the gamut of, uh, of, of sort of populist to, to very small niche, tiny, uh, international films that they, 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 they think of themselves as the people's festival and they, they do do it. So we're, we're going to the premiere of Rose tomorrow night and there's a Knives Out premiere. And there are also, you know, tiny third world documentaries uh, showing here so it is it is everything under one roof all right this might be a good segue into marketing um and so sean tell us briefly you've written a lot about marketing in the last couple of weeks but like at the at the executive level we also are missing our marketers so do you want to just talk about that yeah sure so the news uh uh today uh chris van amberg who's the head of apple tv marketing is leaving to spend time with his family. That was a literal quote. I uh, don't hear that too, too often. Maybe, maybe true. I don't know. Um, Wait, but can you just tell people what the sort of oddity of that is? is well, it's, it's like an SNL sketch. It's like, you know, it's a little well, like, it's such a, well, you know, like cliche, but like, well, cause that's... he was spending time with his family. Cause his brother was right. <laughs> yeah, right. He works with his brother. So not that family, his immediate family, different family, different family. Maybe he's had too much time with his brother. I don't know. Um, so yes, but that was, there was no other real, uh, rationale reason given there. Um, and of course, JP Richards, who was the head of Apple TV film marketing left in May. So that's pretty recent as well. So, so I have no marketing heads right now. I just want to say, and this is comes at a, in a period of time when you've written a lot with a lot of incredible reader response about the lack of marketing for streaming television shows and movies and how that might have impact on both viewership, but also the A-list stars who star in those projects. So I just want to establish that context around the missing marketers, but, um, and then who else is missing? So Amazon, uh, Okama Ojo already left this, but that was June and she's, you know, still hasn't been replaced. And well, so the Tatiana, that Tatiana, the yes. transom, I'll, I'll toss it over to, to you. Uh, I mean, uh, Sue Kroll is, uh, uh, in pretty serious talks, I believe, um, now, my understanding with Amazon uh, to be the chief marketing officer, uh, or maybe their early talks, but there's some kind of talk. Their talks. Oh. Uh, She's also working yeah. at Lord of the Rings, right? Wasn't she helping out or something like that? Consulting, yeah. Consulting. Yes, so she's correct. in the family or in the, in the building somewhat, to, so it, to speak. It's my understanding she came in and did sort of a bang-up job to um, to get that thing launched in the way it's been launched, um, and, and I would say in a very successful way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 100%. and Sue, I think going to the point that you make, Sean, when you keep writing about marketing, um, has sort of that uh, honed old school, big, Oh, yeah. Big I mean, she marketing. was behind Warner Brothers' biggest hits of the past, you know, 20, 2009 to 2018. So, you know, you're talking, you know, Star Wars Born, The Hangover, you know, just, you know, big, big campaigns and with big budgets. So she knows her and, way around that. And yeah. I mean, Warner Brothers, even 
for the the time, the great studios, uh, studio age there of, of the 2010s was renowned for spending fantastic sums of money on on, on its campaigns. Yeah, there. and that's that yeah. she had relationships with like um, Christopher Nolan yes. and Bradley you know. Cooper and every yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a lot of and big... by the way, those aren't like easy people to I deal with. <laughs> well, that's like, why. If, if you could, <laughs> you're handling a Christopher Nolan movie, that's um that is that's not easy. Um, right. yeah. And I think that if you come from another industry, like her. Uh, let's, assuming she ends up in this job, her predecessor came from the cosmetics industry. I, I think that when people come to Hollywood from another industry and they sit in a room with one of these sort of high maintenance directors, they must be like, "What the like? What planet did I land on?" <laughs> Completely. Um, and so, you know, the way you characterized your news item today about Sue Pearl and Amazon, Tatiana, I thought was interesting in that you characterized it as the that the Warner Brothers diaspora is sort of hot, you know, hot again in the sort of traditional studio experience and the ability to make things successful in in a high quality way that people want that again. And you mentioned yeah. a few, you mentioned a few other people from the Warner Brothers diaspora. Yeah, Courtney Valenti, she's being um, courted all around town and particularly Netflix. And she was the head of Production. production production correct correct, yeah. correct. for many years um, yeah. like in, in both she and sue kroll had were at warner brothers for decades like decades during the golden era and then we saw jeff robinov recently in negotiations to run ben and matt's company ben affleck and matt damon's uh production company and that's not like a little vanity production company they're Gonna, if their deal closes, they're coming in with big money backing them from Redbird Capital. Who are an investor in Skydance, uh, I believe. Correct. Um, and then you mentioned also um, in your item, you know, the the, the Dan Lin job that was not. He, um, he, part of being part of the Warner Brothers diaspora is that you form your own production company and it's incredibly successful, which makes... It very hard to go back and run DC, which is what um, the trades were saying was going to happen, but apparently it did not get across the finish line. That is correct, and that is my understanding. Is that there? But I think that in the the Dan Lin case, it may have been from what I heard. There was a little bit um, uh, preemptive the reporting that the there really hadn't even been an offer yet at that point, but um, but. They really like, I mean, he's super passionate about, as we know, about the DC um, brand and franchise. So, so that he would have been a fantastic fit. Fantastic. So that leaves them without a head of DC at the moment. Is that, okay, Walter Hamada still there, but kind of. I, I think he's still tech, yeah, technically in the job still. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. Well, and I don't quite un uh, frankly I, understand why they can't make that work. I, um, but. You know. I mean, it, that's that's the baffling thing here. It's a D, DC has actually been having a relatively decent run lately. It's, it's yeah. not a not 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 everything is is perfect, but but it's not uh, it's not a total basket case unless you you're comparing it to Marvel, which is the most successful uh, uh, film company in history. So right. so compared to that, it, it 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 may not be great, but uh, but it's 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 actually been doing okay. Hmm. Absolutely, and um, yeah. Sometimes I think that 
when you look over at the other studio and you say, we want that, but you kind of, it, it's, it's not great for the morale of the people that are already there who would rather probably see sort of investing in the core group that's already there. Right. And making it work for whatever reason they want it to, you know, be more Marvel-esque. And by the way, Marvel is about to hit its own rough patch, maybe. Or has hit it, right? Or has is hit it. it, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, that's, what it, that's what it might seem like. Um, yeah, kind of right. going through its, like, ugly teen years or something. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward um, teen yeah. years. Like, Marvel has braces on right now, and... You know, we all still see that beautiful child and that beautiful adult, but it's kind of maybe, maybe the braces years. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So Sean, let's go back to austerity. Cause I, you know, I think all, well, austerity and a bankruptcy filing. Right. Um, and, uh, so tell us. That's also that. So <laughs> real austere. Real austerity. If you want to get into that. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> So, I do, but I do but just on Apple. One quick point on that, Janice, yeah, with, the, yeah. with the marketing job, is that yeah. they're on the cusp of a very, very different mode of their business, where they have had they've greenlit so many big A-list projects. The Brad Pitt F1 movie, right? They've got Marty's movie coming. The the the, the, the yellow the flower, flowers, or whatever. yeah, something, something flowers exactly with, with Leo and you know and De Niro, and they've committed. The talents come there with the, I believe, the understanding it will get a full run in theater, like a proper, not a Netflix two week, three week run, but a proper marketing campaign, which, you know, Coda got a good push, but that didn't have any A list talent, obviously. So they're on this cusp of they've greenlit a bunch of these projects and they're all going to start popping in 2023, which, as we all know, the campaigns, the work on it's going to start now so i think that that's a shift of like we're wow. gonna make it yeah that's you know kind of reading a little bit more into, you know i don't know what chris's deal was i have no idea but from a business point of view apple's on the cusp of being a very very different company in 2023 and beyond that maybe they want someone else apparently they do want someone else in, the, in that job so just a sidebar on that that's really interesting because i think as anyone who's worked at one of the legacy studios knows those marketing campaigns are plotted out yeah, like I mean, twelve years to eighteen months, you know, exactly. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Which is what someone like a Sue Kroll knows, like the back of her hand, where you know. So then, the, and there's not a lot of people in Hollywood who know how to do, you know, who have done that repeatedly. You know, it's a short list, right? Of people. So and, and and you add onto that the awards campaigning that has yes, to go on, right? Just part of that, right? Well, hopefully, so exactly. Yeah, it's going on long <laughs> yeah. after the release of the movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but even Netflix has a new market issue. Marion Lee started in March. So even they have a new, you know, lease on marketing to a degree as well. So um, every sh major streamer is having this marketing shift, uh, which is in HBO Max. I don't think it even has a head of marketing, but like a, a CMO, but um, they wow. have a lot of heads of EVP people who I used to work with, uh, right. but I don't know if they have a CMO. Their CMO, Chris Fettuccini, left a while ago. And I don't think he was ever replaced in that was role. Was his last so. name Fettuccini? Spattuccini. Spattuccini. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Hey, Chris. Yeah, how are you doing? So. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I guess you want to move on to, sorry, the movie business, Shannon, or what do we, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're going to tell, tell us, tell us the grim news. Um, I mean, know. so Cineworld, the number two theater chain in the, in the, Certainly in the U.S., they own Regal Cinemas, is officially now bankrupt. Not a surprise. They kind of said in August, uh, yeah, we were looking at it. And I was like, yeah, you probably are. Um, so they officially said we're going, we're going to bankruptcy. They have $5 billion 
in debts, they have about $2 billion in bridge funding. So there's a $3 billion gap. And in bankruptcy, you know, people get left holding the bag. And there are wow. a lot of, not a lot, but a few of the Lionsgate's, I believe, CFO came out today being asked, are you going to be the one? Because, you know, they owe studios money. You know, the movie theaters right. take their money and then they pay the studio. Yeah, that's a trickle-down effect. So studios are part of the creditors here. Uh, and in bankruptcy, there's no obligation to pay anybody. You know, uh, that's the thing. So that's when, when they say bankruptcy protection, that is yes, what they mean. Exactly. Okay. So we don't know. You know, I mean, it's it's going to be the next six months before this all gets resolved, well, but it's a question. So the studios are going to be fighting with a lot of mall will, owners yeah. uh, over who gets who gets to go first in line. Exactly, yeah. because there's a lot of renegotiation of leases, which is what the mall owners exactly right, who hold the leases on these theaters, who also are owed money. So exactly right, Richard. That's 100% right. Um, I thought uh, you made the wise point in your newsletter, um, The Wake Up, Sean, that um, this is actually, you know, we talked all during the lockdown about, oh, my God, businesses are going to die. Theaters are going to die. And this is like the first chicken that's come home to roost in a major way. It's too- yeah, I mean, it's it's also two and a half years later. And it's like, that's what I think. And even at large, I feel like, and this isn't just, I, you know, in other industries, the same thing's kind of happening where everybody, everybody's expecting you know, the doom and gloom to come in 2021. And that never really materialized. But now it's kind of like, yeah, this is where the hurt's coming in. You know, it's probably the, the killer was inflation to a degree, you know, like the thing we didn't see coming, you know, like that kind of the the, the surprise third act here. Uh, so we're starting to see that. Coming. Sooner than eventually the, the Herbstein rule kicks in. What's the Herbstein rule? Uh, the uh, if something can't go on forever, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who Herb Stein is. Should I? <laughs> Herb Stein was uh, Herb Stein was an economist. He served as uh, head of, uh, I think, Richard Nixon's Council of Economic oh Advisors, and was uh, the, the the father of uh, Ben Stein. Oh, you know, okay. Ferris Bueller and yeah. win Ben Stein's money. Okay. So, so yeah, as Q3 rounds out, you know, there's a, a bit of this going on, and there's you know, so obviously we we're three weeks until the end of third quarter. We're not going to talk any more streaming discounting, but everybody, Wait, <laughs> we're very we, on trend. <laughs> can we just Friday. say, yeah, we one more discount that, that I didn't think it, I didn't think from a place that does discounting. Uh, which one are you? You had it today, Disney. Oh, they, but they disc, I mean, Disney does any traditional media. Well, this is where the buckets are really interesting. Cause like, all right, this is where it's falling out. HBO max, huge discount. Peacock, Comcast, huge discount. Disney, quite a few discounts. Netflix does not discount. Amazon Prime does not discount. And Apple, who they don't even, who knows what they're doing. They discount the product all the time. Uh, it's $5. But uh, so it's just this bridge of like old media and new media where the old media is pulling those discount levers. And there was, you know, we would be joked about it last week, but then Disney pulled four, like three or four more this week. It was like, really? Like everything's on sale. So, like, okay, if I'm paying for my Disney Plus right now, which I do, am I paying too much? Do I need well, to? You, these are mostly new subscribers. These uh... are new subscribers, yes. The, the the HBO deal is for anybody. That HBO okay. Max deal is 40% off if you sign up for the years. So they want to get people in the you know locked in, as we talked about okay. uh, before the big merger of Disco and HBO Max happened. So, but other ones are more for new subscribers, newer so if you had canceled two months ago, maybe you would be eligible, Janice, but you, if you are a current subscriber, you are not eligible. Got it. Okay. You sign up for but wait, I just got, a, I got an email from Hulu yesterday saying that my price was going up. What? Now, maybe yes, I'm just, it it's is. Just, yes, I got like $2 a month. Yep. And, and That's the I, first one. Yep. In October. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Yes. So Hulu, that's, I mean, they, um, so it was during the earnings call, but yeah, so the, the prices are going up, you know, that's the whole thing with how they're making, get, how they're going to become profitable. So Hulu was first in October, uh, ESPN already went, ESPN plus already went in August and then Disney plus is in December for price raises. So wow. the okay. discounting before <laughs> the price raises. I mean, I think I've, I always think it somehow is netting out to the fact that you're going to be paying the same amount no matter what, but that's just the cyn- the cynic in me. Um, yeah, but yeah. this is a good segue into um, entertainment strategy guy um, who did this series this week about the American viewer with a bunch of statistics about who they are and speaking to a theme that I think, you know, certainly Richard writes a lot about, about the complete disconnect. And I, Sean, you, you too, the complete disconnect between what people in Hollywood think and think about who the audience is and what the audience actually is. And I thought this was um, really interesting uh, around income. And I think about this with the streaming market plateauing um, in the U S. So um, this statistic, which like, it's heartbreaking um, that uh, more than 100 million people in America don't have $400 in cash if they need it. And um, so that's if your car breaks down, if you have a medical emergency or you're not insured and you end up in, um, you know, many people end up in poverty um, over medical expenses. And, um, and so ESG writes this line in the piece, just imagine how those more than 100 million people constantly assess whether to cancel their monthly, their monthly streaming bill if they even have streaming. Um, and then he also talks about in the in another um, in the third installment in the series about how um, you know 40 million people in America don't even have access to broadband, which enables you to stream content, um, and that this should be a cause that. Um, Charlie Rifkin, who's been a guest on this podcast, um, at the M- and the MPA should take up um, about how do you um, how do you further um, you know how do you create more market for Hollywood? Um, but some of that's just you know I think it's such a splash of cold water in people's faces, and I think that um, you know and he and this line from ESG um, I thought was you know, spot on. Um, if there's an example of a media bubble, this meaning Hollywood is probably it. I've worked in media companies and been told with a straight face by people who I knew owned million dollar homes and pulled down just as an, in, just as an individual, mind you, more than $500,000 a year. These people have told me they were middle class. If that's the middle class, there is no upper class. Um, so I mean, I think when we talk about streaming tapping out, like, I mean, not, and these discounts, I mean, like, I mean, there's just not enough people who can afford these. Is that right? I mean, would you believe that to be the case? Well, I think that's what we saw in the the second quarter, like all the U.S. streaming growth stopped. And it's like, I think we've, this is around 45 million. I I have to really cross-reference his numbers, but like, you know, I mean, Netflix is at 73, but like everybody else is kind of hitting that peak of like, who, what's the market eight, Janice, to your point, has streaming to begin with to even be able to stream this stuff. Right. And then B has the money to keep paying for three or four services. And it's like, yeah, some of them are probably going to pare down to two or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. I think that, that evidence is there now. So it's right. here, like Houston, she's 100% right. 
Well, there's a really what's a go ahead, Richard. Well, what's what's astounding is uh, that you know this huge cluster of people who uh, who are, are, are for whom cash doesn't grow on trees and have to make hard choices and you know are less educated and less uh, media literate has has been sitting there is like the biggest demographic of all and service after service comes along and says no we're going to go after the 1.2 million people that watch mad men yeah that's that's right. what we're going to instead, instead of this 120 million people sitting there it's like it's like that audience of 100 because ankler rule number four <laughs> the, the the most important factor about a business that determines the course of the business is what the head of that business uh, want, wants to tell people at dinner parties that he goes to uh, about what he's doing. Yeah, and every everybody wants to be in the premium business. Every everybody wants to be saying they're running Neiman Marcus. Nobody wants to be running J.C. Penney or Kmart or Kmart exists anymore. Um, it and and so everybody ends up directing well, uh, their entire business that way. Well, a couple of other really interesting statistics in here um, in his series. Um, so he talked about religion and I think that, uh, God, so I think people in Hollywood, you know, most people in Hollywood. And so he also makes the point that only, I believe six or 7% of the country identify as, um, very liberal. And so I would put, you know, Hollywood at like 80% probably identify as very <laughs> liberal. And, um, but that 62% of the... what, what's the left of very liberal, <laughs> talks about religion and how we are still a deeply Christian country, but not just people who, you know, eh, I guess I'm Christian people who, um, I mean, some of these statistics, one in three Americans, um, does not believe in evolution. Um, and there are, um, enormous pockets of the country, like significant, let me see, um, 20% of all us adults watch religious content. Um, that, uh, you know, and so he, he makes his point, and by the way, this is never going to happen, um, that deep, despite religious viewers making up 20 to 30% of the TV audience, 20 to 30% of content on the streamers is not religious. Um, is there an opportunity here? I don't know, but it sure seems like one is possible. I mean, never going to happen, correct? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, remember a few years ago, there was that movie um, that, came out of nowhere was huge I can only imagine was it what the title was and um they were really smart the filmmakers they cast Dennis Quaid who's like a real actor not particularly associated with sort of Christian it's not like a Kirk Cameron casting it's like Dennis Quaid that's a real movie and the movie did really well um it was a it was the kind of it was based on a song that's very beloved by Christian people and you know, that movie made possibly more than some tent poles did. It was like close to 100 80, million. $83 million in the oh. U.S., $170 million worldwide. Oh, my. And it was a five-minute. I remember doing a story on this movie. It had a $5 million budget. And <gasps> there is an appetite. It's just, I think that um, Christian audiences are more sophisticated than wanting, like, another Kirk Cameron, like, um, End Times movie. They want 
a movie with like real actors and actresses, but that have themes that they can kind of relate to. And then you had um, another example that same year, uh, A Wrinkle in Time, Disney put that one out, that that book had a lot of Christian themes. And when they made the movie, they removed them all. And at the time, um. the reason was because they wanted to get into China. China, by the way, didn't let it in anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, um, so it's kind of like, I do believe that there is an audience that will go, they'll show up if they are given quality product. Um, well, I want to, so this kind of leads into another thing. I just, maybe two more points I want to highlight from ESG's series, which really everybody should read. Um, that, okay, so uh, let's see. I can't count, this is ESG writing, I can't count how many times I've spoken to wealthy executives in entertainment who, when talking about the future of TV, mentioned that their child binges shows on Netflix on their laptop or tablet. Um, and so he makes the point that nearly half of America does not own a tablet and that, um, and that, um, so he makes an argument in the column that most people have one point, I think that, uh, Americans have 1.2 televisions in their house. Um, and let's see, we can't assume members of any one household are separately choosing their own adventures when it comes what to watch to what to watch. I have to believe there is lost opportunity by not creating more broad appeal television that families and couples can watch together on one screen. That might mean less sex and violence for the kids, more 30 minute programming, more, dare I say it, old school broadcast style fare. I mean, what do you make of that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, just forget about the, uh, the, the business. I mean, there, I mean we, there, there's been no shortage of shows centered around sort of edgy anti-heroes or, or uh, questionable protagonists um, who are maybe set in the media world and the and, and the big city, and it's just you know we 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 we've talked about the um, the, uh, the big financial opportunity for Hollywood is these underserved audiences um, like minority audiences um, and telling different kinds of stories than Hollywood's ever told. Well, this this is another audience that Hollywood just just has said uh no, no that's you. not the kind of things we do yeah no thank you yeah we're not we we, we don't we, we we don't want to make uh uh inspirational uh uplifting story we want to tell a story about a morally bankrupt advertising executive who uh, <laughs> who, who, who uh figures out great ways to market that, that was it's, a very um, good series though by the way i love it i I love Mad Men, but uh, mm -hmm. the audience was not large. Richard, Richard is correct. It was not a wide. If you left New York and L.A., you know, you're not going to get like a lot of people. To, yeah. You get what? Yeah. But, um, but I think what Entertainment Strategy Guy really taps into in this column and that Hollywood does not seem to recognize is that there are a ton of poor people in this country. I mean, there are people in Jackson, Mississippi do not have drinking water. It's like, right. there's there are people who their priorities are not like, do I have Peacock and Hulu? Uh, you know, like they, right. there are people like I need to get water. Well, people, I mean. Yeah. And really, really telling the stories of people who are struggling day to day. Who Like you see any, any family on TV from right. wherever it's just your, their basic needs are just a given. And, yeah. you know. 
Oh, Plus, and if you, remember you. a few years ago when they when Manchester by the Sea, the year of Manchester by the Sea, like like Casey Affleck is supposed to be poor in that movie, and Michelle Williams, and it's like it, the way Hollywood signals poor is they wear flannel shirts. That's like <laughs> that that because <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. looking at the house Casey lives in in Manchester by the Sea, and that's like a two million dollar home. Right, it, it, I'm like he is not poor. I get it; he's a plumber, but. He, he is a very rich plumber <laughs> because <laughs> flannel shirt notwithstanding, you know there's the, the, and Hollywood does not know how to really. I don't think they recognize poor yeah. people, and they don't know even what that is, what that means. Netflix, Netflix did that show Made that just felt astounding because it dealt very specifically uh, in in great detail about sort of the nuts and bolts of how you survive and what kind of choices you have to make mm. when when you are literally counting then then show how to counter up of every dollar she she had left to her and it was it was astounding and you just never that's like the basic facts that that govern so many people's lives like you know huge many many tens of millions and you just never ever see that well i mean i mean even here in los angeles right like outside of the people who work in the entertainment industry i think some staggering uh, percentage of kids receive free lunch in the in LA US public schools, LA USD. No. Um, so yeah, right in, in the stream business, you know, this is what Avod is, and everybody, you know, everybody laughs at Freebie, which is you know, kind of Amazon's, you know, yeah. uh, but they're doing. They just did a uh, Laverne Cox, George Wallace broad sitcom. You know, like they're in that business, and yeah, it kind of gets a little snarked at or whatever. But you know, to be Pluto. And look, Warner Brothers Discovery has said we are launching a free service next. Like you know, people know that this is a not everybody has this, and if we're not going to cater to them, hey, we're leaving money on the floor. Number one, because there are these people out there who are not never going to pay fifteen bucks for HBO Max. So why don't we create something that fits their budget and lifestyle, and maybe even God forbid their taste? You know, so they're starting to get that lesson a bit. What you know, how much money is there is the question, but it is a growing business i mean viacom always talks about or paramount excuse me always talks about pluto and how well it's doing you know and fox has Tubi is a big part of their business so it's out there and that's the i think that's the manifestation in streaming that may you know it's an interesting 2023 growth story you know for sure that apple and you know is not playing in and netflix is not playing in sure um all right i think the last point i want to hit on esg um before i let richard and tatiana go back and get some Ooh, swag um, yes. <laughs> that, um find some free t-shirts yeah. <laughs> um he okay so <laughs> let's see he says that esg advises everyone in hollywood to please god stay off twitter and don't let it um dictate your um decisions let's see and he quotes a study that says um Let's see. Social media gives more power and voice to the political extremes while reducing the power and voice of the moderate majority. Um, the group furthest to the left, the progressive activists, we might know some of them here, comprised 8% of the population. But progressive activists were by far the most prolific group on social media, sharing 70% of all political content over the previous years. Um, the devoted conservatives, who are six percent of the U.S. population, comprise fifty-six percent of the of the uh, content of their political content. Um, and then he, this stat I thought was fascinating because you, all of us on this um, on this podcast, consume a lot of news. And 
um, that, you know, he says, I know the travails and ratings of CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News are all part of the larger media's constant news conversation, but only about 1% of Americans actually watch any of that news programming. That's just stunning, right? And very important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, and that's a fantastic point that people should not be making their decisions based on what is going on on Twitter because it is such a narrow uh, sliver of the population that, it, you know, any one topic that's become something hot on Twitter or, you know, uh, that that's outrage on Twitter. It's it's so narrow, and it's uh, I think like most studios actually are not. I think Disney kind of does. Yeah. I think they pay attention. Yeah. Um, I don't think Warner Brothers Discovery does. Do you think David Zasloff even knew when he was trending on Twitter? <laughs> oh, I'm sure someone told David Zasloff. <laughs> <laughs> Whether yeah, he I'm can... telling you, they 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 do they don't care. Uh, no, I don't think he can. He's just, he's, he's, yeah, he has more bigger fish to fry than worrying about the one day that that happens. And the next day it's something it's, you know, it's such, it's just so disposable it, you know, to pay attention and get, you're, you're going to lose, you know, lose the focus on your own game. You know, totally. Richard, Richard Plepler famously always said, we play our own game in HBO when he was leading HBO and he was right. He was like, what about Netflix? What about whatever? He's like, we have to execute our game plan. If we don't do that, we're going to lose no matter what. I have to I sit here worrying about everybody else. You know, you have to be aware, but he was like, we execute our game plan and that's what we do. And that's why HBO is what well, HBO is. Always has. Very well. Very simple. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think, um, anyway, I, I would love um, everyone listening to this to check out Entertainment Strategy Guys four-part series um, out at The Ankler. It is so good. It's for paid subscribers only. So please subscribe um, at theankler.com. Um, Richard, Tatiana, give us a quick preview of what else, what, what you're doing out of Toronto this week. I think we're going to have some podcasts from you. Yeah, but should we, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll keep it like, uh, keep it, uh, well, Richard, I'll let you go ahead. We, we, we are planning some podcasts and some dispatches uh, from there. Check back in the anchor. We have some big guests whose schedules uh, we're negotiating, like, like working out a nuclear arms treaty. Uh, but uh, hopefully we, we can get the treaty signed and, uh, and bring you some big guests on the podcast. So tomorrow we're going to have a little curtain raiser talk, talking about the history of Toronto with, uh, with, with, with one who with the expert uh, who knows on that and uh tomorrow night we'll be seeing uh bros right oh. yeah i think tomorrow night is bros <laughs> all right all right well if so the know, universal so. contingent is here strong well well if they've got, they got bros and babelman if you don't say anything bad about bros i'll know they got to you and threatened you or whatever you think <laughs> yeah if you want to see fablemans on saturday you better uh you know be a big fan of bros on friday there you go <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you better uh, love bros, right? If you want yeah. to get into people. Dame Dame Donna Langley is on the yeah, ground a, here. So. Oh, well, she, the, the the Dame must be um, right. in unique mourning. I know. Right? It's a, it's a, it, we let's all send our, our best best wishes to sure. to Dame Donna. Our, Richard, if you need me to call Harry Styles for you to book him, just let me know. I'll put the phone call in. <laughs> yeah, my oh policeman. My you know, we'll. Uh... I, I would like. Yeah, I think that's a Monday night, right, Richard? <laughs> my policeman, Harry Styles. 
Yes. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. I want to congratulate all of us for not bringing up Olivia Wilde and spitting and mm. whatever all that is. So, um, well, you know, we, we did an Olivia Wilde free podcast. But, uh, we'll recommend Richard's read, though. Richard's, you did a very Every, excellent, yeah, a well put in your column. So if you haven't read that yet, uh, that is the <laughs> yeah. best, which I think Twitter uh, agrees with me on 100% from everything that I saw. Lots but uh, it was Richard's very well call. very well said, Richard, about what the whole And he, by the and, way, he was getting congratulated in at the last party oh, good. On, oh, good. On, on taking such a, you know, making such a great point. Yeah, as he always does. And most important, it's, it's most important. It's free, so mm, oh, right. nothing as it's, as, it's, as Toronto Festival shows us. There's nothing better than free. Anchor swag, so, uh, a free, a free Richard <laughs> Rushmore. Exactly. <laughs> so go read. <laughs> um, all right. Remember to like and follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Um, Sean, Richard, Tatiana. Um, we'll see you soon, Richard, Tatiana. Good luck in Canada. Don't get tossed, Tatiana. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Janice. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs>